This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom software for budgeting and planning by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I am so excited to be joined today by Nancy Schoonmaker, Vice President and Chief Financial Officer at Indiana Wesleyan University. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks so much, Megan. It's great to be with you today. To get us started today, Nancy, I was hoping you could just share your story about how you came to higher education as a profession. Sure, I'd love to do that. Um, I came not in the ordinary route of um, uh, lower levels in higher education and working my way up to the chief financial officer position. Um, I was actually um, working at a large mega church in the Michigan area and um, got a call uh, really out of the blue to come and see if I was interested in the CFO position at a uh, smaller uh, Christian uh, private university. And um, had no background in higher ed, had spent a lot of time um, with KPMG in the not-for-profit world as an auditor, um, had been in several industries, but had not worked in higher ed. Um, was very happy where I was at the time, and but I thought, you know, this this could be, we're at a faith-based institution, this could be God calling me to something different. Um, I really, it was a new president, and I knew who he was. We didn't know each other. And I greatly respected him. And so I thought, I, I'd like to go and at least go on that interview. And so I went and um, uh, they hired me. So uh, really someone took a chance on me um, in higher ed. Um, I had to learn higher ed from the ground up, if you would, coming in at the CFO level, which can be a little challenging. But that's really how I, how I got into um, higher education. Wow, that is a fascinating story. And I can say it is totally unique. I've never interviewed anybody that worked at a megachurch before coming to higher ed. So that is a very unique path. I wonder if you could, I mean, you had some private sector background and then you worked um, in the faith community. So I wonder if you could kind of compare and contrast that to higher ed. Like what helped you with the background that you had coming into higher education and what did you wish you had coming into higher education or wish you knew when you got to higher ed? Oh, yeah. Well, the things that were similar was um, I'd spent a lot of time even before I went to my role at the megachurch in the not-for-profit sector. And so that really, really helped because obviously private Christian, um, private education uh, are not-for-profits. And um, so that background was very, very similar. Uh, what I didn't know was um, higher education itself. Um, so, you know, all of the accounting that's unique uh, to higher education. You know, the biggest surprise, which will make people laugh, was uh, faculty and staff uh, were, you know, this whole shared governance thing. That was a really 
big surprise for me. Um, so I had to, um, you know, take time to really stop and listen and learn. Um, but I also brought some perspectives from the outside that were valuable to um, my institution at the time and um, things that they were not doing that I felt like were just really good um, practice. And um, so we really learn from each other. Um, and so, you know, um, you know, I had to learn about discount rates, um, which were, I joined in 2008, right before the, you know, the Great Recession and the stock market crash there in the fall of 2008 was the time I joined higher ed. So really my time in higher ed has been um, very challenging as far as the external environment um, to higher education. So I came in at a very interesting time, lots of things changing, lots of challenges. So I had to learn very quickly. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about you referenced that you brought some things to the table with the background that you had that that weren't currently happening at, at your at your university. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. You know, I think um, some best practice practices with budgeting was the first thing I got to my institution and we were already in the budget cycle and um, we didn't have a final budget. Um you know, best practices like that. Um, one of my passions is simplifying as much as possible. And the, the world of higher education can be very complex from an accounting and business perspective. So I was able to come in and look at things um, from a fresh perspective there and to say, now, why do we do this? And you know, what if we don't do it that way anymore? Um, uh, so, you know, kind of simplifying some processes um, that we, that had been kind of longstanding. The people who had been there had been there for a fairly long time. So they hadn't had, you know, kind of fresh looks from the outside. Um, and you can find that even going from one institution to another institution, those fresh looks. Um, sometimes it's good bringing someone in from the outside to kind of say, just question, no, no, why are we doing that? And what if we did it differently? And then any advice you would give to somebody who's maybe coming from the private sector or a different background when they first get um, into academia? I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, the faculty and staff and shared governance as, as something that was unfamiliar to you. Any advice you would give to people? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I think it's respect for the institution that you're coming into, for their history. Um, it took me some time to understand the role of the academy um, and the role of faculty and why it's like that. Um, I think respect is, is the big thing, not making you think that you have, um, you might have a new perspective, but they aren't always the right perspectives. Um, and so not, not, um, diminishing anything that has come before you. Um, I think that's really, really important. Um, you come along as a partner, not as someone to um, say what they've been doing is wrong. Um, so I think the attitude you come in with is really important in respecting who's come before you. Let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about your current role at Indiana Wesleyan. What would you say is most exciting about your job today? Yeah. So when I came to Indiana Wesleyan, we're a more complex organization than the one I came from. Um, just uh, we're, we're larger um, than I was at a little bit smaller institution. Um, and so we have a traditional campus. We have a very large um, uh, adult education, if you would. Um, and then we have a seminary and we have central administration who serves over 
um, the people in all of those operating units. Um, so I think what I really love about my position now is that um, I get to take um, even a bigger institutional look. So what if we do this? How does it affect all three operating units? Um, and I, I get to work a little, a lot more strategically than I have in the past. Um, we have the um, gift that we have, um, you know, funds to use to invest in strategic initiatives. Um, they're not uh, limitless, but we have more than what I've had at my previous institution. So um, it's it's been really exciting to say, where are we going in the future and how do we invest our money and what's, what's the most strategic things to do? Um, so that's been wonderful. Um, we have an executive team that I work for who are just um, amazing. And again, they're all out leading their own operating units. And so I get to come alongside them and um, help them. We have a very matrix organization. So that means that while I'm responsible for the overall finances of the whole institution, um, the leaders of those units are responsible for their finances directly. And I get to come in and come alongside them and help them at a pretty high level. And I just love that because I love um, helping others be successful and um, really partner with them, not coming in to say, do this, do that. It's really saying, what can we do together? Um, so it's kind of, uh, even though it's the same title as I've had in the past, it's a real different job. Um, and I like to say we have um, many CFOs in each of the units that really function um, keeping those units running well, but then I can come in as an advisor, consultant, partner. And I really, really enjoy that. Nancy, what would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today? What keeps you all up at night? Certainly, um, all of the challenges in higher education that I mentioned before in the last decade, there have been um, a lot of them. Um, so it's sustainability. Um, how can we figure out... Um, how to continue to do the mission that we've been entrusted with on less resources. Um, that is the real challenge. Uh, the demographics, especially here in the Midwest, are changing significantly and will affect all higher ed, have affected and will continue to affect higher ed in institutions. So trying to figure out how to attract uh, diverse, different students than we have in the past because those demographics are changing. Um, and then, you know, managing the discount rate. Um, and that's, again, learning to live on perhaps less net revenue than we have in the past, but still having the mission in front of us that we have to deliver. It is a challenge. Uh, affordability is a challenge. Um, uh, for us, being a religious institution, um, you know, the political arena affects us significantly depending on where that is on any given day. Uh, so that's a challenge. Um, you know, there's there's no secret that there's lots of institutions that are struggling. So we want to support each other, um, but also figure out how to be able to continue on in a sustainable way. So those are the things that uh, keep me up at night. Um, also figuring out how do we deliver education today? It may look different than the way it has been in the past. And are we willing to... Um, you know, be on the, not the bleeding edge, but the cutting edge of trying new things. And am I, as a CFO, going to play that role of um, uh, taking appropriate risks, 
not holding the organization back and figuring out how we can say yes to the opportunities that are in front of us. So those are the things that really um, keep me up at night. You must not get it very much sleep then because that's a that's a long list <laughs> you take your role it very is. seriously <laughs> it is nancy as you look back over your career as a cbo can you think of anything that you would have done differently i know hindsight's twenty twenty. what i would have done differently i think some of the things um some of these are minor things but um you know i i haven't um I've always been one to uh, take opportunities that come to me, not seek them out. So I really feel like I wouldn't have done anything differently as far as my career, because I really feel like I have, again, I'm at a faith-based institution and my faith is important to me personally. So I really go where I feel like I've been called to go. So in that sense, in a broad sense, I have no no regrets about my career or things that I would have done differently. But within being a CBO and... um. I think I would have um, learned earlier about the importance of hiring, the importance of um, moving people along when it's time to move along, and really how you do that. Um, I I feel like I made some mistakes, you know, earlier in my career of um, not doing that as well as I could have. And ultimately it costs the institution, whether you take longer to do it than you should, that costs the institution, whether you don't do it well, and that harms the person who you're trying to move on and and those around them. So um, I think those are some things I, I wish I had learned a little earlier of how do you quickly and appropriately analyze who should be in the right seats on the bus, who shouldn't be on the bus, and but then also the process of them moving them on. That's really, really important. You do it, but you do it well. And I feel like I had made some mistakes along the way there. Nancy, who would you say has served as a professional mentor to you throughout your career in academia? And and what do you feel like you learned from him or her? You know, there's been lots of people um, along the way. I really feel like um, I was uh, privileged to get to work with my previous president at my institution and the one now. And both of them are very different men, but they are amazing leaders, both of them. And working with them so closely, I had the opportunity to learn. And they they both invested in me as a person and as a professional. And so they have been amazing role models. Um, when I came here to my current institution, one of the things I was amazed at was how many uh, very competent um, women there were Um throughout our organization. And I had not experienced that. And we had very competent women, but had risen to very high positions at the institution. And um, it was just wonderful to sit with them, to do a book club with them, to learn from them, um, their story. And hearing their story and my story, we we've, we really um, fed into each other. And so I think it's important even if you're at different levels in the organization, to find people that you admire for what they've done. Some of them have done it in um, academia, you know, or in the faculty roles, um, learning from them and seeing how they've developed themselves and have achieved the positions they have. Um, and some of them may be over you, um, like in a president's role. Um, um, I've also um, been encouraged to go and 
do professional development from these people outside of Indiana Wesleyan. So whether it's serving on boards outside of my institution, they've encouraged me to do that, attending conferences, getting an advanced degree. Um, uh, my current president um, encouraged me to go to the Harvard Business School for Executive Education. And I'm currently in a spiritual leaders of influence group that is um not just higher education, it's, um, you know, really top people across the country. Um, and, you know, they just always encouraged me to go and develop myself outside of my job, which makes me a better person inside of my job. So I've just been very blessed at people I look up to and have been willing uh, to invest in me. Do you try to flip that equation around at all and, and serve as a mentor to others? And if so, do you do that in a very structured way, or is it more informally with you? Uh, for me, it's been, um, I, I have been in one formal mentoring relationship. Um, but other than that, it's happened very informally. So it's been people who have sought me out and we've met, we've had lunch. I've done several of those um, and continue to do that. I have people quite frequently make appointments to speak to me, um, whether they're doing it Sorry, doing it as part of a degree or if they're doing it as part of um, an institute that they may be involved in um, and they will come and seek me out. So I make sure that I never say no to anybody who asks to meet with me to learn from me. Um, so I, I will always give back because I have received um, so, so much from that. Um, the Another thing that I do is we have... Um, a book club here at Indiana Wesleyan that any woman can attend across the university. I make sure I go to that and I participate in that um, because the conversations that happen around that table, we're all learning from each other. And so, you know, your schedule can get so full that you say, I can't do those things. Well, those are the things. How else are those people going to have exposure to people who are at a different level of the organization if you're not willing to go and be part of them? So I've really tried to do that. What are you doing now, Nancy, that you never imagined you'd be doing, let's say, 10 or even 20 years ago? You know, I think on a practical level, um, one of the areas I oversee here at Indiana Wesley, I oversee, let me just tell you what I do oversee. I oversee, um, obviously, the business office, the controller's office. Um, um, I uh, oversee information technology, human resources, legal risk management, and then institutional financial aid. One of the things I never thought I would uh, see myself doing was being over IT. Um it's really complex here because we have a very complex matrix organization. And um, I didn't realize I would have to understand IT at the level that I've had to learn. Um, so that's one of the things that um, I thought I would never do. Another that is just that recognizing that when I speak, um, it really means a lot to the organization. Um, so, and I mean, in the terms of official speaking, you know, if I do it at meetings or events, sometimes I represent the university at events and, um, realizing that, you know, not that people didn't listen when I was speaking, but they listen differently when you're speaking at this level of the organization. And really, I didn't, um, ever have that in my future that when I spoke, people would be like, Ooh, this is Indiana Wesleyan speaking. So you have to be very careful. And then informally, just when people see me, um, you know, they're like, oh, oh, you're you're the CFO. And I'm like, 
I'm, I'm a person and I didn't really ever see myself um, being seen in that light. But what I've learned from that is that if I'm seen and I'm at things and I'm one of them and I take an interest in them, um, it means a lot to people. Um, and I didn't really imagine that, um, you know, five, 10 years ago, it's like that I would be in the position where even my presence would mean something. So you show up, you go to things and you, cause it means a lot to people. That's great. I love that perspective. Nancy, anything else you'd like to share today that I've neglected to ask? You know, I think what, um, has really driven me is, um, and some, some things that, mean a lot to me and really speak to, I think, the success of a CBO or any leader of an organization is just um, the importance of emotional intelligence and empathy. I really can't over um, emphasize that because I look for that now when I hire people, you know, can you put yourself in the other's position? Um, and, you know, when we become accountants or um CPAs, um, and we be, we come up through that route to the CFO position. We're not taught that as well, and I, I just think that is huge for our pro- profession. Is that if we can learn how to improve our emotional intelligence, which you can improve, um, if someone struggles with that, you can work on it and you can improve it. Um, and then the necessity of um, you know keeping my eyes off myself kind of goes with that. Um, uh, that it's not about me. And that, that took me a while to figure that out. It's about not about me, about what I'm called to do at the institution, not what about I'm not called to do or who includes me or who doesn't. But just keeping my focus on the organization, the health of the organization, and on the people that make up the organization. You know, I've just found that everything falls into place if you're doing that. And you're a lot happier too. So those are just I don't know if I had to say something I'd want to share is just, I've just been, um, I've loved figuring that out a little bit about how if people feel cared for and you focus on your emotional intelligence, um, things fall into place. Well, thank you so much, Nancy, for your time today and for sharing just a few of your insights with our listeners. Very happy to do so. Thank you so much, Megan. You can find out more about Nancy and today's episode by visiting the conferences and e-learning section then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you also subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Nancy and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom software for budgeting and planning by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. 